Welcome back to another episode of the Building Equity Podcast for Real Estate Investors. I'm James Schlimmer. With me, as always, is Mr. John Bowens. John, how you doing, man? I am awesome, James. Thank you so much. Really excited today. The man of the hour is Dennis. So uh, I know I usually have some introductory comments when we do these podcasts together, James. Uh, but I think what I'll do is I will just save those maybe for the very end and uh, let you jump right into the news and then uh, get Dennis in here because I know he's got a lot of good information to share with the group today. This will be awesome. So uh, for, for the folks that have seen us, it's the first episode that we're doing where uh, two of us are virtual. So bear with us as we're switching around here. But you know who knows what will happen. Dennis Cisterna, Chief Investment Officer of Lafayette Communities, a build-to-rent expert, is with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having, uh, having me. I really appreciate it. Now, no, no problem at all. So, John Bowens, I had the uh, pleasure of uh, sitting in the crowd at a build-to-rent conference in Scottsdale a couple months back, and Dennis was on a panel, and he does not hold back about his sentiments for the economy, for what he thinks about the build-for-rent space, real estate investing. I hope he could be a repeat guest for us here. So, uh, again, thank you for taking the time. As we... Uh, as we get started here, John Bowens, we got to do our segment. You know this. News. It's what news. Do you got and, games? Well, real estate news that you guys would care about. Let me look in the camera here so I can be a grown-up. Real estate news you should care about is brought to you by IRA Title Pro. If you're buying or selling real estate using your IRA on your next real estate investment transaction, try closing with IRA Title Pro. You're going to enjoy a full service title company that focuses exclusively on IRA real estate closings, faster close times, close times on average of 11 days, faster, experienced closing team that also understands fractional interest in the IRA uh, when the IRA owns a uh, small percentage of the property, let's say. Awesome proactive communication, competitive closing fees. Visit IRAtitlepro.com. And with that, when we talk about the news, let me do a wide shot here so it's all of us. And Dennis, feel free to jump in. The biggest news right now as we record, it's February 24th. About 10 p.m. last night, Russia decided to invade Ukraine. And I know we talked about on early episodes, what would be the market response? You know, they talked about 10%, you know, uh, the stocks would go down and so forth. I think today we're a couple percent down overall. I mean, everything just took a hit. Crypto, major stocks. What are you seeing, Dennis? Uh, I'm seeing the same thing I've seen for the last uh, the last week, which is this steady decline uh, in market values and a lot of trepidation. Uh, how much of that is related to uh, Putin's actions in uh, the Ukraine versus everyone's overall concern with rising interest rates? I, I'm not so sure. It, it certainly doesn't help things. I can tell you that much. John, what are you thinking today, bud? Uh, you know, I have been having a lot of conversations and a lot of the folks that are reaching out to me, real estate investors, that is, is they're, they're yes, they're looking at inflation and they're looking at their, their stock portfolio, their traditional financial market portfolio, and they're trying to make some decisions and some rather tough decisions for some individuals. Uh, but, you know, inflation, I would say right now, is probably taking precedent over anything in the conversations that I'm having. And so folks are, they're looking for asset classes that can be a hedge against inflation. Uh, as we talk a lot about real estate, particularly for investors here at Equity Trust, 
they're focusing on using their IRAs and 401ks and other retirement plans. So naturally, a lot of the folks that I'm speaking to on a daily basis are looking for ways to safeguard their hard-earned retirement dollars. And many of them are looking to migrate their current positions into a cash position to then move into a real estate type position, whether that's land, individual rent homes, uh, for those that do fix and flip type transactions, are looking to invest in those types of asset classes. John, it makes perfect sense. And and what I love about the, the conversation you talked about with inflation is literally sitting in a uh, sitting in the crowd. Uh, Dennis, I'm not going to say it was your panel, but it was maybe on the last day of the Build for Rent uh, conference. Someone said that the hedge against inflation is real estate investing and is this build to rent you know, uh, craze, I guess you'd say. So my question, Dennis, here, just to cue it up for you, is can you give a little bit of background about uh, what you're doing as CIO at Lafayette Communities? And can you give kind of an elementary understanding or what is build to rent and why is it so popular today? Sure. Well, that, that term has evolved quite a bit in just the last couple of years. But uh, essentially what it is, is, is creating purpose-built rental communities that have traditionally been in the for sale market. So uh, instead of you know high rise or mid rise apartments, what you're seeing are fully detached homes, townhomes, uh, even bungalow style villas uh, that are built for the sole intention of uh, owning and operating them as rental property. So uh, this is part of the housing stock that traditionally went to the for sale market and is now uh, being built for the purpose of long term uh, rentership. And so uh, when that first started, it was really kind of taking the cast offs from home builders, uh, developments that maybe they wanted to, maybe a public home builder wanted to hit their quarterly numbers and would decide to sell an entire community in bulk to an institutional investor. But uh, given the scalability uh, in this space, because you can go take an entire community of 100, 200, 300 homes, uh, it's attracted a lot more institutional investors. Uh, and so now not only are folks buying you know these these inventory homes from home builders or doing a forward commitment on entire communities they're not going in and doing the entitlement the land development the vertical construction themselves um, for the purpose of uh, of this long-term build to rent trend and so um, so it's not just the existing uh, large home builders that are really playing and creating that inventory it's it's a whole new set of market participants now would you say Dennis that I mean, we're the show building equity is we're we're reaching out to entry level real estate investors, possibly intermediate level. These are folks that may have maybe one to five homes that they're you know I'll call them mom and pop investors. So sure. you talk this build to rent space. I mean, at least in the news, when you read in the Wall Street Journal or Business Insider, all of Wall Street has their eyes on this market right now. It sure seems like it's a little bit more complicated, I guess you would say, and you would say. Uh, what would you say to the entry-level investor that says, how do I get in on this? Yeah, well, really the, what is garnering a lot of the press are substantial commitments of equity uh, in the space from some of the largest private equity groups, endowments, pension funds. Um, and that allocation of capital and what they're doing is not really relevant to your mom and pop investor. But that doesn't mean you can't participate in it. And I, I think at a high level for your uh, for your viewers and listeners, 
what makes the most sense on why this is an appealing space, even for for someone that is a, a relatively novice or smaller investor, is uh, you can go into a market uh, and look for a single infill lot. Um, you know, I'll use Jacksonville as an example. Jacksonville has thousands of one-off lots um, within a 15-mile radius of, of downtown uh, that can be developed, uh, where uh, a lot of smaller home builders will go in and do a spec development and sell that house. Well, smaller investors have the same opportunity to go in, develop that house, and own it long-term for uh, as a rental property. And so there's a couple nice key elements to to consider as a landlord. Number one, being a small landlord is a pain in the butt. I think everybody knows that, uh, you know, having to deal with tenants, having to deal with maintenance issues. Uh, and one of the benefits of, of having new construction is you're taking a lot of that maintenance headache um, uh, out the window, right? You've got uh, building systems that are under warranty. You've got brand new construction. So the chances of repair are much lower. Um, and, and that also reduces the amount of money you have to put back into the property over the first five or 10 years as well. So there's some some definite advantages there. In terms of first steps, you know, you can obviously go look on Zillow or Realtor.com and just literally look under the land tab and you can see, you know, look for land where the average land size is under 10,000 square feet and that will show individual residential lots. Uh, you can also talk to uh, to your municipality's housing authority uh, because the city actually owns a lot of lots in most places as well that are ripe for redevelopment. And usually they offer some type of uh, nice incentives for developers that want to come in and, and try their hand at um, adding new housing to to that local area. Dennis, I got to, James, if I could jump in and, and ask please, a couple please. questions. Uh, so Dennis, again, thank you for joining us uh, to have somebody of your caliber on the show and, and be able to ask as many questions as we can for the short period of time we have together is, is just great for our viewers. Uh, so viewer questions that, that we know are coming in. Uh, number one, uh, let's say I'm a, a, a real passive investor, um, meaning that I'm not going to go out and buy land and, and figure out how to develop it, hire a builder. Uh, I'm looking for something that's that's really just turnkey, if you will. Um, what where are those types of opportunities? If I'm an investor that is looking for something that is already built, uh, we have the new construction, we're ready to go. It just needs to be tenanted and managed. Um, where do I get started with that? Yeah, so um, there are, let's call them websites, um, kind of clearinghouse websites like roofstock.com, which will put uh, inventory out there that's already built um, and also can even have management come in tow if you're really looking to have kind of a turnkey solution. Um, and then you also have two other two other ways to look at this. Number one, you can, you can remove yourself well far away and obviously invest uh, in the stock of the single family REITs like Invitation Homes, American Homes to Rent, who, who are both employing this strategy and, and you're taking kind of a, a larger macro bet on the single family re rental industry trend. Uh, or you can invest uh, passively with other operators um, as a limited partner. And so those are groups similar like myself, uh, maybe a little smaller, but they'll go out and they'll they'll raise capital from investors that are, you know, 25, 50, $75,000 at a time uh, on projects that they've already got uh, entitlements on or they've already done the improvements on and they're looking for additional equity to maybe recapitalize the deal. And so, you know, that works with people's personal funds, that works with their self-directed IRA funds. 
uh, and that's a good way to enter the space, especially if you really don't have any experience with with home building. And let me give a nice clean warning to everyone out there that maybe owns one or two rental properties and has done a little bit of light renovation. Home building is an entirely different universe. It is infinitely more complicated. It contains a ton more risk. So to just step into something and build your first house from the ground up, uh, you should be well versed in all the risks uh, and rewards of that business. So that's certainly something that I would I would caution against, even though it is getting garnering a lot of media attention. Uh, it is not for the faint of heart, uh, and it's a big leap from your traditional single family investor to ground up construction. Yeah, so what I'm hearing, Dennis, is you know you got to do your due diligence and find the right partners to work with. You know, James knows I'm really big on on building a financial team and making sure that you have good team members in the stables ready to go to help you as you're navigating your various investments. Uh, so great, I appreciate that. Uh, other question, I'm gonna take a step back, uh, maybe just from like a, a macro perspective. Um, you know, from a supply standpoint, um, if I'm an investor and I'm, I'm looking to, regardless of what market I'm looking to invest in, um, are, are you able to comment in terms of the the supply of rental properties in in the U.S. and and what investors should be looking at from that perspective. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, so what you're seeing is uh, a couple things. Number one, of the existing housing stock, the roughly 120 million houses in this country, you're seeing owners, uh, you're seeing uh, landlords own a greater and greater percentage of that. So historically, you know, that number has been somewhere around eight to 10%. That number is now trickling up to 12, 13%. Uh, and it's also starting to make a, a greater composition of the new houses being constructed. Uh, if you went back five years ago, you would, you know, you would be pretty tough to, to see anywhere in the country where more than three or 4% of those houses were being built for investors. Whereas now that number is jumping up to five to, to 10 to even 15% in some markets. So, you know, there's no doubt that the institutional investors and even small investors are coming in and and picking off uh some of uh some of this inventory. And that that goes back to your earlier question as well if if uh if someone wants to get kind of into build the rent, they don't want to take any construction risk, you know, you can obviously go to your your home builder of choice in your market run your numbers and buy that, assuming the CCRs and HOAs allow it, buy that property for investment purposes yourself. And you'll actually have your, you know, the home builder warranty attached to it too, which is nice. But there are a lot of restrictions around that in a lot of parts of the country. So you have to be careful for that, that you're not going to buy a property uh, for rental purposes in a community that doesn't allow rentals or has a very limited number of rentals. Um, but, but, you know, going back to, to your whole point about supply, um, supply is increasing quickly. The demand, though, is the exciting part for most of these investors because we've been chronically undersupplied. We've got this huge surge of millennial housing, uh, demand from millennials for, for for sale and for rental housing that has kind of offset that increase in demand or in supply, excuse me. Okay, so awesome. And then, James, I'll uh, one last question, and then I'll, I'll hand it back over to you. Um, when we talk about th these this new construction, um, is it typically uh, a single family, uh, one unit, or are we talking uh, two unit uh, or triplexes? 
what does that most commonly look like? The most prevalent product type has been single family detached and townhomes, uh, followed by what I would call these what horizontal apartments, basically, which are usually single story um, bungalow type houses that don't really usually have garages or if they do have a garage it's a one car garage those units are much smaller they're they're kind of size like apartments uh the, these these horizontal apartments that are you know let's call them 1800 to 1300 square feet whereas the, the most prevalent product type is single family detached that's 1500 to 2200 square feet or townhomes that are 1300 to 1800 square feet most of the product is three and four bedrooms uh, and four, four and five bedrooms have actually been increasing in demand um, uh, as COVID has has kind of uh, delayed itself and more people continue to work from home. They're using those extra bedrooms as uh, at-home offices. But whether or not that trend stays around long term, who knows? Awesome. So let me jump in. You you brought up a couple of the REITs and and specifically, you know, on the Building Equity podcast, we're not giving anybody any investment advice. That's our disclaimer. But I will, I will go on record and say that I was left the conference, look at the build to rent craze. I'm like, this makes sense. How can I get in on it? You do your research and you say, well, wait a second. There's American Homes for Rent, Invitation Homes, Tricon Residential. Could you give, and, and, and if, if you could, Dennis, do you have an opinion on those three REITs? And maybe you, you can elaborate or not or whatnot. I can take this out too if you don't. I know I'm hitting you on the spot with this question. But just for a, it's kind of an elementary way that our viewers, listeners could get into the build for rent. And just what would love to know your opinions on those three. Sure. Well, all three are very well-managed companies. Um, uh, not that I'm biased, but, I, but, I, but I'm friends uh, with, with several of the executives across all those firms. Uh, and they've done a great job of navigating the growth in this space. The one thing I would say from the build to rent perspective is even as those three companies and others continue to expand um, within this, this new sector of SFR investing, it still makes a very small percentage of their overall portfolio. So when you're going to invest in a REIT uh, and buy shares in that stock, you're really making more of a macro bet on the trend of single family rentals uh, rent growth, home price appreciation, um, and the macro bet that that we are um, short on housing and long on demand. Makes perfect sense. Let me let me hit you with this question, uh, and this came up a handful of times when we were recording over the weekend. So you have Wall Street, you have some of these investors that have hundreds and hundreds of doors. I believe Lafayette. I could be wrong. You guys have over three thousand doors that you guys currently yeah, own, right? That's that's right. So what if people, I mean, if we get into an 0708 and people just stop paying their rent, what is the counter argument to that on why the build for rent is a good investment today? Well, the counter argument is they didn't stop paying their rent in uh, 07 and 08. They stopped paying their mortgages. So two, two completely different uh, scenarios here because people ultimately have to live somewhere. And I think if COVID showed you anything, even when there was a moratorium on evictions, people still paid their rent. Um, so, you know, the, the, the nice part about owning um, housing is it's, it's a needed asset, right? It's not, uh, offices aren't needed quite the same way. 
um, retail centers aren't quite needed the same way as housing. So this is kind of the ground floor for stability. Um, and if you actually look at what happened during the recession last time, yeah, home building and, and the for sale market got beat up. But for the multifamily market, it was it was a bump in the road, except for really the lowest of the low uh, or areas that had expanded a little too fast and retracted back in terms of the, the housing supply. So you saw, yes, you saw vacancy go up in, in some multifamily markets, but um, you didn't really see it go up across the country. And you actually, you didn't see rents drop off of a cliff the way you saw home prices drop off of a cliff. Uh, and I think you would have to have a lot of, in this environment right now where we've been on this inflationary run where a lot of equity has been created, uh, much like the namesake of, of your show, um, America is sitting on more cash right now than they know what to do with. And that's part of the problem. That's part of the cause of this this inflation is is there's too much capital around chasing deals and it's pushing asset values up, not only across real estate, but across really every type of cohort you could think of. So I want to, I, my last question for you is going to be more macro level, but I have, I have, I have two more, um, you know, basic principles show that, Hey, if you want to be a landlord and you want to have a good number of properties, follow the population growth in your local area, follow the, follow the jobs without giving away your secret sauce. Could you, uh, maybe coach some of our, uh, viewers, listeners on what, where they can go to maybe locally or in their state where they can get an idea of, hey, where's the, where's the population growth going to happen in my state? Or where would I know that, you know, XYZ Corporation is moving and that's going to bring 300 jobs to the area? Um, do you have any elementary X's and O's that you can, you can sure. push them through? Yeah. Number one, I'll tell you, uh, anyone that tells you uh, that there's a secret sauce is, is usually full of it. Um, it's just usually hard, it's just usually hard work and knowing how to find information. Uh, and what's awesome about uh, about understanding demographic and economic trends in our country is almost all that information is free. Um, now, granted, there's you know micro level data that you can pay for from a number of of great data providers, but uh, the best the best source of information in this country is the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, uh, and the economic and the uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis. From that, you can understand what areas in the country are growing from an economic perspective, from a population perspective, uh, what the average household and median household uh, uh, income is. Um, and, and literally, you know, I, I think it's censusbureau.gov or census.gov is the website, and uh, they have great uh, reports down to uh, down to the county and city level. Uh, that will show you how population has changed over the last 40 or 50 years and how it's expected to change over the next 40 or 50 years. Um, and you're right, you know, uh, job growth and, and household growth are the primary drivers of demand. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have to be in those markets to be successful. It's just that those markets are where you're probably going to have the greatest demand um, for for your rental houses. But, you know, I, I would I would tell people to understand their own market first before they understand other markets, um, uh, go to other markets. You know, I, I like to say that, um, you know, it, investing doesn't have a border, but 
it's so much easier to digest and understand your market first and understand what drives your market before you start jumping into other ones. So understanding those demand characteristics, why do people like the market you're in? Or maybe people don't like the market you're in and you're losing population. Uh, if that case, what are nearby places that are attracting? Uh, and all of this changes over time as well. You know, uh, if you look at a lot of cities like uh, in the Rust Belt, uh, places like uh, Cleveland and Buffalo and um, a lot of these cities that lost population from really the, the late 1960s all the way until a few years ago. Well, these places are now seen as highly affordable and they're reinventing themselves and they're actually adding population back in. And so they're producing some of the best yields in the country right now. Big institutional investors are a little skittish of these markets, but that doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity for you. In fact, there's probably more opportunity for the average investor in some of these smaller markets that are growing because larger investors aren't going to go and jump in with both feet unless they know they can get a scale in that market immediately. Um, and, and it's hitting the highest numbers of growth, which some of these places aren't quite doing yet, but they're poised to do so. John Bowens. I just I told you I was always going to point out when we bring substantive information to the table that our listeners, our viewers, however they're consuming this content, go back and rewind and just listen to what Dennis said. He's giving you a roadmap and showing that everybody can get in on this and to to get even a little bit more macro level. And if, John, you want to jump in, please don't cut me off. But I mean, there's personal questions I want to ask as Dennis. So from a macro level. They say 40% of every dollar that's in circulation worldwide was printed after COVID. Stock market at the highest levels, obviously this is changing in the last couple of days. Um, home values through the roof, rental prices up. Everything is the best it's ever possibly been. And now you're starting to see the inflation. Now you're gonna to start to see the interest rate adjustments. Now you're gonna, you're seeing a war literally in Europe what do you believe? Do you believe that real estate investing is the, I'm going to say the end-all be-all insulator to kind of all of these um, external forces playing against our economy? Where do you see 10 years, maybe next 24 months, not 10 years, 12, 12 months, 24 months in real estate investing? Yeah, James. So I'll I'll jump in here, and and Dennis, feel free to follow up on my commentary. Um, you know, we're we're real estate investors. That's what we focus on. Uh, obviously, you know, disclaimer, like you did before, James. Um, you know, we we don't have a crystal ball. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the stock market. We don't know what's going to happen in the overall global economy. Um, we know inflation is real. I think that's that's a that's a piece of factual evidence that we can we can state today. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell just a quick story. When the pandemic hit and I had multiple family members reaching out to me and it's it's interesting, you know, people reach out to me. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't give advice, but people will reach out to me knowing the, the business that I'm in and what I do from an investment perspective in and outside of real estate. And most of the folks that I spoke to they had taken anywhere between a 15 to 20 percent haircut in their stock market based portfolio. So if you look at the stock market at that time, we saw about a, a 20 percent downturn and very quickly that recovered. Right. We, we can all say, OK, once stimulus picked up, once this whole pandemic, uh, everything was figured out, 
uh, the stock market came roaring back, which was great for people because they didn't have to take huge losses like they did in the Great Recession back in 2008 and 2000, 2009. But during that time, my rental properties appreciated in value. So while most other individuals were suffering losses in their portfolio, our properties were appreciating in value. Our rents were still coming in. So our tenants were making payments on time. So I'm not gonna say that we are fully insulated from um, an economic downturn because we're invested in real estate. But what I will say, and this is just personal, what I will say is we feel a lot comfortable, a lot more comfortable being in, in a real estate position than we do 100% invested in a stock market-based portfolio. And you know that philosophy that I carry with me is the same philosophy that most of the individuals that I work with on a daily basis uh, carry. And so I don't know if that sheds any wisdom uh, or kind of outlook or um, you know direction for anyone. But if you're somebody that's out there that's interested in real estate, you're, you're curious, uh, know that you know, there's a lot of other investors out there that, that are trying to do the same things, have done the same things successfully, and you can get help. I always talk about the real estate investor clubs all across the country. Just do an internet search of real estate investor club, and you should be able to find a group in your area, in your hometown, that are mom and pop real estate investors. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. It's important to think about, you know, what are the, the private equity firms? What are the invitation homes doing? What are the Zillow's doing? Uh, all of that macroeconomic information is really, really important. Uh, but at the grassroots level, you know, getting down to, like Dennis said before, I love what he said, which is know your market. You know, learn your market, navigate your market before you move on to another market. And it can start with working with mom and pop investors in your local community and networking with like-minded individuals. Dennis, what's your take? Uh, well, that was a wide-ranging uh, answer. So I, I, there's lots of things <laughs> to uh, to pick up from that. Um, number one, uh, you know, inflation isn't here. It's been here for two years. We've just ignored it. The Fed has ignored it. Um, we dumped so much money into the, the economy so quickly. Um, and we already had strong cash positions, in a, a, you know, uh, that it, it's been pretty, pretty robust across the board. My concern is that the response from the Fed is going to be uh, overkill and they're going to raise interest rates too fast, too quickly. Uh, and, and there there could be some related pain with that because a lot of the other fundamentals in place are great, right? You compare it to to other times that where where things seem too good to be true, uh, like the Great Recession. Well, the issue there was we were issuing crappy mortgages to anyone that wanted one. Well, we're not doing that anymore. In fact, the average credit score of a uh, of a new borrower is at its all time high. Um, uh, most loans have a substantial amount of down payment on them. Um, but still, we've, we've, we're seeing home prices in, in a territory they haven't been before, uh, and people are stretching their incomes, and we are getting to a point where if interest rates uh, increase substantially, it's going to reduce the average consumer's buying power, um, and that could lead to some incentives in certain housing markets that are maybe not quite as undersupplied as others. Um, but it's hard to tell because demand demand is just so robust right now uh, because we've been underbuilding for so long. Uh, and even worse, uh, not enough people are really selling their houses right now. So you're seeing 
even the existing inventory at extremely low levels. So it's tough to say because um, a lot of the cards have not been shown yet. So it's it's hard to know what kind of hand to make out of this. Um, I am cautiously optimistic for a little bit of appreciation this year, but I, I think there will be a leveling off in pricing. And I'm hoping that's really what the solution is, is not a correction that involves uh, any type of price declines, but more of a, a leveling off for a few years uh, that allows the economy to collectively uh, catch its breath and and kind of get back on track with a, you know, a normal two to three percent annual growth. But, you know, between COVID and, um, you know, policies of both Trump and Biden, you know, both guys wanted to keep this economy afloat at all costs. And, and both of them pulled triggers they didn't necessarily have to pull to keep the economy uh, afloat. Um, and, and so we're paying for some of that now. Excellent answer, excellent answer. And here would be the last question I ask you, Dennis, and feel free to, uh, John actually mentioned Zillow, and literally the panel I saw you on, you, uh, this was, I mean, had to be late November, so it was just after the Zillow announcement, and you off the cuff made a Zillow reference, and then you looked around the room with complete silence, and you're like, too soon? too soon. And I thought it was hysterical. Now, today at uh, five o'clock is Open Doors fourth quarter earnings calls. And uh, I'm not sure if you have a chance to see where their stock is a greater than 65% decrease in a one year period. Um, what is your take right now just overall on the iBuyer market, uh, Zillow's exit? And, you know, it, let, let me just set the table too on this real quick before you answer. I was at Inman when the announcement was made about Zillow and the other iBuyer companies were up on stage and they were extremely brash about that move that Zillow made. And sure seems like the writing is on the wall for all of them, in my opinion, but would love to know your take. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the iBuyer business model. And I think most sophisticated investors would echo my sentiments, even if they're not brave enough to say it aloud. Um, what is it exactly that they're doing? They're they're buying a house, hopefully cheap enough. Um, and uh, they're doing this all based on computer algorithms. Um, let me tell you, if Zillow's algorithm is wrong, everybody else's algorithm is probably a little off too. Um, the only difference is uh, Zillow got very aggressive in in some of the wrong markets and got uh, got caught uh, on the on the wrong side of uh, thousands of transactions. Um, but ultimately, they're not these businesses are not creating you know true profit. They're just creating revenue, and that is part of the issue right now fundamentally with a lot of companies and their valuations. They're based off of ridiculous multiples of revenue as opposed to actual earnings. And so when you look at how little things have to go wrong for an iBuyer to lose money on a transaction or to have paper thin margins, uh, it starts to catch up with with uh, the investment community saying, well, mm, I'm not really sure if I want to see a company that creates, you know, $50 billion a year in revenue, uh, but yet can barely eke out a profit year over year. And this is at a time when home prices have been on absolute fire. It, you know, I look at it as a, akin to DoorDash, right? DoorDash had the entire universe of restaurants closed and people having to use their service and they still couldn't turn a profit. What are their prospects long-term to to be able to, to get into the black? I, I don't think it's very good. So 
Um, you know, I am uh, I'm I'm not long on those strategies. Uh, I think they are uh, they're easy to scale because they're doing everything digitally. But scaling something that doesn't make money means you all you're doing is increasing your losses uh, on a uh, on, on a geometric scale. So uh, I'm not a big believer in that long term. I don't think they're creating value. They overpay for their services, and then uh, even worse when they try to to um, to vertically align those services into their own companies. Uh, it, it's wildly inefficient. So I, I've seen this firsthand. I have a number of colleagues who 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 used to be uh, employees of uh, Zillow, of Opendoor, of Offerpad, um, and whether anyone wants to admit it or not, they're all kind of going to suffer the same fate eventually. We are here on the Building Equity Podcast for real estate investors, and I couldn't be happier to have Dennis Cisterna from Lafayette Communities, the Chief Investment Officer, a build-to-rent expert in the entire industry. John, I, I don't think today's episode could have been any better. Do you? I, I agree. Yeah, awesome, Dennis. Thank you for coming on, sharing all these great insights with our viewers. Uh, and hopefully we can have you again on the show sometime soon. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Now, listen, before we go, we always have a final segment, and it is This Day in Real Estate Investing History. And it's brought to you by Equity Trust. Unleash your inner real estate mogul. Discover your potential as an investor by maximizing the power and possibilities of buying and selling real estate with your retirement account. U.S. News calls in the top seven IRA accounts for 2022. Investopedia says best overall self-directed IRA company. With $34 billion in assets under custody, start the conversation today at trustetc.com. And now let me bring this over here. Dennis, I did this one for you, bud, because you are the build to rent expert. You should be able to see this. This is a uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, the Evening Herald newspaper from March 3rd, 1936. And right dab in the center, I'm going to zoom in so you guys can see it, because I know you guys, history repeats itself. That's why we're doing this here. Eight homes built in a month. If you guys can see that right there, the building inspector reports $25,150 for February. The monthly report, Mr. Flowers showed $700 in repair permits and $24,450 in new construction. Eight new homes were built, Dennis, in 1936 in South Carolina. And what I love about it is that's the wonderful build for rent craze. So once again, everybody, thank you for... Uh, tuning into the Building Equity Podcast. Thank you again, John Bowens. Thank you, Dennis Cisterna. Hope to have you back on. And we wish everybody has a great, great day. And we'll see you on the next one.